everyone. Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts for today, Courtney Emmerich. And I'm Danielle Wright. Today we're going to talk with some of our leaders about the social challenges we have been facing and how, as leaders, they have responded. With us today are General Diana Holland, Colonel Carl Jansen, and Colonel Zachary Miller. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you to be here. Thanks, Donnell. So we've had a few po uh, podcasts on social justice, and it's important that we continue to have these conversations to gain perspective from across the nation. We have heard of the impacts and emotions that have challenged our staff over the past year with COVID-19 and social unrest and the death of George Floyd. I want to start by asking how these events have personally impacted you and your family. Let's start with Major General Holland. I think, uh, so, you know, thanks for having me on the podcast and uh, joining these two great colonels from the Mississippi Valley Division to talk about this. I think it has affected my family in that we have asked ourselves more questions about what is happening around us. It is certainly concerning to, to watch what our country is going through, particularly in larger cities, but not just in, in larger cities. We've talked about it from the standpoint of trying to understand a perspective that we aren't always exposed to, uh, as well as the perspective of we have come a long way, the belief that we have come a long way, combined with the recognition that we have a ways to go. I think it has impacted us more so about the future of the Army, because that's what our world is, and a lot of our you know, the, the community to which we belong. And I, as a leader, I know, and, and I can talk about this more down, uh, later on in the interview, but just really working hard, thinking hard about what is my role in this? How do I evolve as a leader to address the concerns and help the organization through this while, you know, listening to all sides and being uh, and moderating those conversations with, you know, what are the substantive actions to address it? Thank you so much for that feedback. Colonel Jansen, in particular, we had civil unrest this summer as the result of the death of George Floyd in Minnesota. How did you take care of staff during this time, and what would be your advice to other leaders when dealing with this challenge? Hey, thanks a lot, Courtney. And like General Holland, it's, I'm really appreciative of the chance to participate in the podcast today. Right, I'm glad you brought up George Floyd's tragic killing, you know, that was close to home. I'm the commander of the St. Paul District uh, here in the Twin Cities. You know, this was very visible to the entire country of the aftermath of the killing, you know, and there were multiple layers between, you know, peaceful protests all the way to, and demonstrations to, you know, violence. I missed an opportunity as a, as a district commander during that time frame Although I was very cognizant of what was going on, I approached it from a physical security point of view. And, you know, we informed our workforce to be careful out and about, be careful as they um, moved from the building to their parking lots and, and so forth. But I missed it two, two key things. And the, the first was the fact that our people in the district live in the community. You know, that's so obvious. But many of them were very close to where some of the more 
uh, violent activity was happening, and they were scared. For some people were were fearful that they would lose their homes. They were hearing gunshots. They were uh, breathing smoke for for many days, and I failed to connect through you know energizing our chain of command to make sure that the people that we have living in those areas uh, were checked on because of course most people were teleworking, and um, and that if there was anything that we could do to help them out during that time, and then the second thing is and I I mentioned addressing the physical security, I also missed taking care of people emotionally. You know, aside from the violence, the, you know, the real impetus there was the, the longstanding feeling of social injust, injustice, racial injustice, and what that meant to some of the people who work uh, for the St. Paul District in not recognizing what was going on and caring for them, that caused pain for them. It was painful that an organization, their work family, was not explicitly being supportive. And so how I would address that in the future is, is to be a little more aware, have my eyes and ears out there, be more cognizant of what's going on in our, our local community, and think about how that can be impacting our people, and then be proactive in uh, testing that, reaching out to people and asking them and informing the way uh, we should go about taking a stance as an organization. Thank you, sir. Uh, Colonel Miller, I, I want you to uh, respond on the same thing, but I also uh, want to add to the question as far as some of the things here in Memphis, you know, we've had our share of protests and, and, and things. So if you can also comment on that as well. Yeah, thanks, Danell, and, and again, thank you for having me uh, on the program to discuss this topic. You know, I have small, you know, relatively young school-aged children, and that right there is where this all started with me because they're experiencing this in real time just like you and I are, just like our employees are, and they're young and they're impressionable, uh, and they have friends with a lot of different opinions. They They consume a lot of media just like we do you know, sometimes with a discerning eye and sometimes not. And that immediately let me recognize and just reinforce my mind that, you know, we have employees, we have people in the society and the communities we live in that are also on all sides of these these issues, some, some for the right, some for the wrong, some it's not really sure. But that was an immediate recognition that as I helped, you know, be a father, be a parent to my children and get them through this and help them understand what was going on, and the rights and the wrongs of it, I had to do the same thing for our employees. And, and much like uh, Colonel Jansen mentioned there, uh, I probably didn't respond quickly enough to the human aspect of this. Uh, and I, I feel blessed that I have uh, employees in this district that regardless of kind of where they are in the supervisory chain, uh, feel empowered to kind of say something when they, when they think things uh, could be done better. And this is one place that a number of people chimed up, not in a public forum, but directly to me that, and they said, uh, hey, sir, I think, I think the time for you to say something is now. You don't want to lose employees, you know, um, trust over not taking a stance on some of this stuff. And so I'm thankful that that happened. And, you know, to your point, Donnell, about living in the city of Memphis, this is a, just like all of our cities are, has a, this city has a very specific history with respect to the civil rights movement uh, for so many decades. 
uh, it's got a very mature outlook on on civil rights issues. I, I'm proud to, to live here in that there wasn't a large number of violent protests. Uh, we weren't seeing what a lot of other communities in the nation were, but they were very vocal protests. Uh, they were very focused. They were very, very well organized. Uh, and, you know, I have no idea whether our employees participated in those or not, um, but, but I know they were responding to that. The uh, open dialogue began almost immediately, uh, and I think that, that that's got to continue, obviously, but it's been very helpful and insightful uh, to have employees that are able to share with you kind of, of how this has affected them in their work life, but, but more importantly, how it's infected their personal life and things that may occur away from uh, the office. Thanks, sir. I, I tell people all the time, uh, there was a, a podcast, I think podcast number nine that we did, uh, and one of the things that uh, uh, Courtney and I had, had both pointed out is that at the end of the day, I mean, Major General Holland, uh, Colonel Jansen, and you, you all wear that uniform, but you know what, at the end of the day, you are still people, you are still parents, you still have your thoughts and all that. So. I know it's tough for all of you, you know, uh, you, you have to do the military thing. I, I know that all too well, being a retired uh, Navy chief 24 years, yes, I, I had to put that out there. But, but I know how that feels, to have to carry yourself one way, but then you still have to be that parent, that caring father or husband or, or wife or whatever uh, role that you have. So it gets a little tough sometimes. I don't think the lines get blurred, but, but I think it's a little bit a little bit tough at times. But hey, Donnell, let me just add on that um, I feel like this was made even more difficult by the fact, one, that it was kind of, it, it were in a hyper-politicized environment, but also it was an, an election year. And, you know, I've got 20-plus years of training and, you know, experience that tells me don't get involved in politics and, and you know, make sure you're you're keeping your personal feelings about the issues of the day to yourself. Uh, and that was very much, and still is, very much a tension with having to be a leader as the whole paradigm has kind of shifted to where there needs to be more involvement from from uh, leaders of all ilk uh, to to engaging on these topics. So I think that's something that a lot of people are still coming to grips with. Absolutely. Ma'am, what do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I'm glad you came to me. I was I was about to chime in. I think, you know, I think a lot of Army leaders uh, in USACE and elsewhere struggled. So, you know, we are raised to communicate frequently with our soldiers. I mean, that's part of what we do, to address things head on and to bring people together and to solve human problems. I think that's the, one of the great strengths of the military, and I believe that to be one of the strengths, what we bring to an organization that's 98% civilian, that that's something that we do very well. Uh, and so it was, as we, it's interesting to note that we did, we struggled with this early communication, and, and I went through that myself. And I think, you know, in our desire to speak to a very diverse group, at the time I was in the South Atlantic Division, and uh, in Atlanta, so, you know, our headquarters uh, there is in Atlanta, uh, which was, had a lot of unrest as well and was uh, really high in uh, COVID numbers. So lots of, of course, like many cities faced uh, during the summer, a lot of complications with trying to address this. And so trying to be, because we are raised to be the commander of all, 
and be everyone's, you know, everybody's commander, I know that I personally wrestled with what was that first message going to be? I didn't want to miss anything because I knew if I didn't say all the right things, somebody was going to feel left out or somebody was might be offended. or And so trying to get it just right is what I, you know, I spent too much time trying to get it just right. Anyway, so I did finally send out this, this message to the region. And what I've learned from that is I got back two great responses that at first broke my heart. In one case, definitely broke my heart because in my desire to, I felt like, you know, my goal was to be reassuring. Uh, it was such a stressful time for all the reasons I've already stated and we all are aware of. So my goal was to be reassuring and make people feel like they were doing, you know, just by being good people to each other and the mission of the core and what it does and how many people it benefits, that even though you may feel powerless at a time like this, that you should be comforted that you are, really are making a difference every day. So that was kind of my, my going in position on this note to the region. And I would say while I did get, you know, lots of people writing me back, thanking me for saying something, it was good to hear from me and, and, and on and on and very nice, polite answers. Uh, like I said, I got two answers, one of which really got my attention. And it came in on a Friday, and I spent the whole weekend stewing about it because I felt like I had let somebody down. Uh, and more than one person, but in this case, this person who wrote me. And what he said was, you are the commander. You had the opportunity to speak to the social injustice of this nation, and and you didn't do it. And uh, you have a large African-American population in SAD. And anyway, it was a missed opportunity. And uh, like I said, I, I spent two days just really thinking about, you know, what I should have said differently, what I could say differently. Anyway, I did, I responded to him point to point. We had a dialogue back and forth. I had something similar come in from another employee, uh, and we went back and forth. And through it, what I, of course, learned from that is, you know, it is okay not to get it 100% right. And it's it's okay that you're going to get, you know, some concerning responses. But boy, did that open my eyes to what some folks were going through. Uh, and that even within USAFE, even though that they love USAFE, I know these folks. I mean, they love what they do. They feel like they're part of an important team. They don't want to leave it. But they spoke to some things that have happened in USAFE and that they haven't forgotten and if they, if it's never been addressed. And so my takeaway from that is there's a lot going on under the radar that we as commanders don't see and aren't aware of. And, you know, if you send a note out and you get some of those responses, you know, okay, it's all right. But, you know, I feel blessed that I did maybe goof it up and got that perspective because now that I've come to MVD, I'm far more, I think, uh, I'm certainly more empathetic uh, and more on the lookout and sensitive to that viewpoint that uh, I am not seeing everything that, and hearing all the things that, that people are going through. Hey, this is Colonel Jansen. Ma'am, I just wanted to, to build on that. I, I think you mentioned it was almost a happy accident, and I, I think I had similar experience here in St. Paul. Um, and I think my original reluctance, and maybe we overthink things a lot of times, but it's that polarization that Colonel Miller was talking about as well. 
you know, Minnesota certainly been in the news through the election. It's clearly a, a split state, a battleground state, and we have a ver you know a variety of demographics here. And some of the feedback I was hearing through my circulation indicated that there are different points of view as related to what was going on in our local area and across the nation. And I think instead of having some backbone and in taking a stance, you know, congruent with the, the Army values, I, I remain silent. And I, but I think what, you know, you received a note and what we had in place in St. Paul was, uh, we call it diversity, equity, inclusion forum. We um, have been doing this before project inclusion kicked off, but we scheduled just a listening session, essentially open mic time for for people to share their thoughts on civil unrest, our employees. And it became very clear, as you mentioned, that these experiences uh, not only occur, but they're frequent. And unless people have a platform to share and, and encourage to, to share openly, they just stay muddled. And it's probably not healthy for the, the long-term uh, strength of the organization. Yeah, that's a great point, Carl. And and to your point, General Holland, about the the fact that we don't necessarily see everything that's going on in our employees' lives. And of course, we all recognize that. I mean, we're we're people too, and 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 you know, employees don't know what's going on in our lives. But but this really did bring it to the forefront. I thought I'm, I'm sure you would agree. And and as we went around and we're talking to people, uh, and and doing listening sessions. Uh, and people really felt unencumbered and able to come out and, and talk about what, not just what's going on in their lives now, but like what they've been dealing with, their story. It's pretty amazing the stuff that happens that is just not part of my experience. And everybody has a certain set of experiences. But, uh, what, you know, when I heard employees talk about, you know, what a lot of people refer to as the talk with their children. And of course, that means one thing to me. But, but it wasn't it wasn't what you know traditionally is considered the talk with your young children. The talk was about how to respond when police approach you, or when you're pulled over by the police. I had employee after employee talk to me about that, black and white, and it's it is just heart wrenching uh, to hear some of the stories of things that occurred. And even if nothing bad had ever happened, just the fact that the way they had to present this to their relatively young children. It wasn't necessarily just about being pulled over by the police, you know, how you behave when you're going on a walk in your neighborhood, all these types of things. And it really helps you realize that people are struggling with things in their day-to-day -day lives. Some of it's at work, some of it is at home, and they're internalizing a lot of it. And, and we as leaders use the perfect word there, ma'am, was, was, was empathize. You know, we, we have to be able to put ourselves in their shoes, I think that is a, a very important characteristic and skill for any leader to have, uh, and, it, and it takes practice. Uh, and so I, I have certainly, you know, try to continue to focus myself and work my work on that and, and work all of my uh, subordinate leaders on that, because without that, we'll never have the understanding that's necessary to really support our communities. Thank you all for sharing your perspectives. I think we've learned a lot from these project inclusion uh, listening sessions that we've that we've employed across USAFE. And during those sessions, we've we've heard a lot of feedback from employees. We've been privileged to listen to a lot of stories that, for a long time, 
were just not discussed openly um, and certainly not in a, in a work environment setting. Um, I've heard stories from employees who've experienced a lot of fear, fear that people of color will be harmed, fear that their loved one's safety is at risk or that their local businesses have been destroyed as a result of rioting. Some employees have shared experiences uh, where they've experienced racist comments at work when their coworkers didn't realize that they have a mixed race family with biracial children. And, and this really leads to the next question. After these events, you know, Colonel Miller, what have you done to take care of people in your district? Well, first and foremost, you know, we have to make employees feel emotionally safe. I mean, I know that seems like such a little thing or, or maybe something that, that isn't that helpful because, again, it doesn't directly address the things you were talking about, like the, the fear of actual physical, you know, harm. It's absolutely essential. If, if they don't feel like they're supported uh, in both their personal lives and their professional lives, people will be obsessed and consumed with all of these concerns. Uh, and so, you know, unfortunately, because this is also impacted by COVID, uh, it's harder to go face-to-face -face with the vast majority of your employees, which I believe is the best, the strongest way to do it, is to establish that personal connection, let, let look each other in the eye, and really feel, not just hear what people are going through. And so we, we've all had to adjust our, the methods by which we communicate. I'll be honest, I'm not a huge fan of the all-employee email message. Um, I do it. I know everybody does it. It's the only way to really reach everyone. As personal as you try to make it feel, it's, it's just not. But you have to get to know your employees. You have to get to know what their concerns are, and maybe not by talking to every one of them, but by talking to a representative sample, not just your kind of like little circle of trust that you spend so much of your time with. So that's first and foremost, let them know that we're supported. I think another thing is, um, you know, you have to respond decisively when things that are just wrong happen. And, and that's one of the biggest powers that, that a commander has. And so the, the, some of the types of incidents that you um, that are potentially work-related that you mentioned, if those things happen and when they come to your attention, A, you've got to make people feel empowered to, to speak up when they happen. Don't just, don't just keep it to yourself. But when they come to your attention, you have got to do something about it. You've got to look into it, and you've got to, if, if it's warranted, take appropriate action. Because, um, I, you know, the times that I have done that or not done that, they have moved like lightning through the organization, uh, and that, that sends – impact a positive message to all to all those folks and and it has I believe a chilling effect on the on the behavior that you're trying to reduce so I, I think that's the most important thing that can be done major Holland you want to uh, you want to expand on that yeah I think what I'm thinking hard about and, and the two commanders on the call are as well we've all had a lot of conversations as well as with the chief this week at the executive governance meeting which is it is going to be crucial that we demonstrate action. My observation so far, right at this moment, is the door is opened. Are many of our employees who may be, who may not have said something or opened up to us a year ago, are opening up to us. And I know that they're not all doing it. We're not hearing all perspectives on this. In fact, I would say that, you know, there's a probably a population out there that feels right now that they're being bashed around so much focus is on diversity and those who who feel that they haven't been treated well. And so by implication, we have a large, uh, we, I don't know that it's large. I have no idea how, how big it is, but 
but there's there's a lot of risk out there in how we communicate and how we handle this. But the door is open right now to take all this in. We are entrusted with this information. People made themselves vulnerable because they, they trust us to do something. This is our big moment. If we can deliver, I have found USACE employees to be very patient, understanding that we're not going to be able to come up with the 100% solution tomorrow, but we are ultimately going to have to show progress and uh, what are the definitive actions. And for the things that are long-term that we can't solve tomorrow or we can't work on immediately, what is the way forward? Are we addressing it? How are we addressing it? We are going to have to be so proactive and aggressive in our communication of this once we have those solutions or actions uh, figured out, we are going to have to deliver because there is there is some doubt out there that this is anything more than just listening, sending the feedback up the chain of command, and, you know, it's just going to go into, it, there's just not going to be enough reaction to it. And if we don't demonstrate uh, that, demonstrate that action, we are going to lose this huge moment and I fear that the next time around, it will be 10 times harder, as if it's not hard enough now. It will be uh, even even harder going forward. So I think that's what we're all wrestling with now and trying to come up with what those near-term, mid-term, long-term solutions are to address these uh, these issues. Hey, ma'am, this is Colonel Jansen to, uh, to add on there, too. And I, I could not agree more that there's a very important moment in front of us, and the, you know, the term trust has come up a couple times, both with you and, and Colonel Miller, and I, the idea of trust and the relationship to leadership is a very interesting topic to me. And I think all of this is about either earning or restoring trust with the people who are in our care. And I think, you know, one trust-building behavior that that we used was to listen first, and I think that's what project inclusion, listening sessions were, were all about. But you're right, we, our employees stepped up and they spoke up and we collected so much useful perspectives and, and ideas and also through our Federal Employment Viewpoint Survey, the Command Climate Survey. You know, for us, this is all happening at the same time. And the, the one question that sticks out on every EEO Command Climate Survey is, um, do I think that the feedback in this survey uh, will be uh, taken by the commander and, and used to improve the organization? That's the big challenge. And you can see in the distribution of that response if people believe in you as a leader or not. And these are, these are tough challenges to, to solve. We're talking about cultural change on a local and a, and a grand scale. But I, I think the first step for all of us is another trust-building behavior of confronting reality. And I think that goes for our whole chain of command, you know, especially within a district. We all have to recognize and appreciate the fact that there are perceptions and beliefs out there that need to be addressed, especially with discrimination and, and fairness. So like you, ma'am, you know, we're engineers. Um, you know, we're, we're bred to solve problems. And now I, I think our job is to 
to figure out how we break this problem down within our organizations and, and make it better. So, sir, I, I think that's great. I, I love all the points that all of you have made. Let me ask this question. Well, actually, I don't want to. I don't want to step on uh, Courtney because I think Courtney's going to pretty much ask this. But one of the things that I know that I get asked a lot is that people think that you know it's just a check in the box while we do these things and. Uh, or we're just providing lip service. One of the things that I pointed out, uh, like I said on a previous podcast, is that you know people aren't privy to the conversations that I get to have with my commander, you know, and, and my deputy, and, and all that. And they don't get to hear those conversations. They they don't get to hear how Colonel Miller feels about that. They don't get to hear how Lieutenant Colonel Malika feels about some of the things. Uh, that are going on and, and, and what we're doing to try to change the things here in Memphis District. What, I'm, what I want to ask all of you uh, is, you know, we, we've done this project inclusion. We, we do surveys and all that, but with the project inclusion, the question is, is, you know, why is this going to be any different than anything else that's been done uh, in the past? So, you know, what's, what, how is this going to be any different? That's really the question. That's the $64,000 question. So, ma'am, if you, if you want to go ahead and, and respond to that, please. Well, I'll go back to the, you know, I'll go back to the beginning, which is take the input that we have and define what is it we're trying to address? What is the outcome we're trying to achieve? And what are the specific actions related to it? And this will, you know, likely play out perhaps in different ways depending on what level each of us are, are at. at. At this level, uh, you know, one of the things that we've done with an eye towards this very dilemma is a line of effort as, we've, as we have a region are laying out our strategy going forward for the next one to two years, we've developed a line of effort uh, that's really about people. It's labeled uh, build NBD teams for the future, intended to get after many aspects of people. Uh, one, is, one is diversity, equity, and inclusion, but also things like, you know, work environment, which would incorporate telework versus working from home and how we balance all that. And, and so anything having it, safety is another one under this line of effort. Uh, so this is a really important line of effort. We have four of them, but I think this is going to be the one that's going to require the most energy and therefore the most reward, potential for the most reward. So we've started to define some actions in our last uh, regional governance meeting. Uh, we started to draft some, you know, some, some actions under that uh, that we can start looking at. Um, but it's, we got work to do in figuring that out. And I don't mean to make it a science project, but it is important to, at this level where we've got 4,500 people to, and, and, you know, billions of dollars that everybody's working to, to execute and all kinds of things going on in this region and lots of disasters and all of that, it will be important to invest some time in thinking about how are we going to do this, what are the actions, are they things that, you know, and, and then decide who, at what level, has the approval authority or the action item. There's things that a division or a, um, a branch can do, individual supervisors can do, there's things that a district commander would do, there's things that I would do, and then there's things that 
you know, aren't within our authority, higher level policy, that then we got to go to the USAFE headquarters and say, well, this is, and all of the regions are going through this right now. So defining that and communicating it routinely to the region as to what we're working on. And here are the things we, and exactly what I just described, explaining that, you know, some might say that's not fast enough and it sounds like a lot of uh, analysis, but the reality is if we don't do this in a deliberate way, it won't survive, you know, the next crisis. Uh, we've got to put things on paper, assign responsibility, and strategize how we're going to get to an end state. Or, you know, once Colonel Miller and Colonel Jansen and I leave, you know, it won't be sustained. And, and arguably, like I said, the next crisis will have the tendency, could have the tendency to, to get us off track a little bit. So it is important to get it formalized uh, and then communicate it. Frequently, it's not an easy thing. There are some things that we can do immediately, though, uh, whether it's putting out new policies about our hiring panels. There's things at my level that we may be able to do that are in compliance with higher level policy, uh, but that push the envelope towards changing a little bit how we do hiring panels. There is, edu you know, I think I really believe that one of the key things we've got to do and I'm surprised by that I'm saying this, but we've got to educate, train, mentor, coach our supervisors on, on why diversity and inclusion matter. You know, I learned that in my last job as well. It's something I took for granted that in this year, by this point, everybody in America understands why diversity matters. Certainly everybody in the Army should understand that. But I learned through, as I described my struggles uh, from that regional note and then the conversations I had in SAD, and I know that the similar dynamics exist. This is not unique to any one region. This is everywhere. There's a lot of folks that don't understand why they have to work a little extra harder to achieve diversity and inclusiveness on their team. That the answer, one answer I got was, ma'am, we're not against diversity. And I said, well, that's great. <laughs> I'm glad you're not against it. Okay, that's step one. But that's not enough. Diversity and inclusiveness don't happen naturally. You have to believe in it and you have to be proactive in it. And so I think this is a step we got to take probably as a nation, but certainly in the uh, with the leaders that work within the Mississippi Valley Division of, at all levels, you you got to be a true believer if you're going to achieve, achieve these things. This can't just be sit on the sidelines, continue to do things, be a good person, interact professionally with each other. Yes, you you must do that as a professional. But if we're going to get this right, we got to be more forthcoming and forceful and expectations, establishing expectations on support and being more aggressive and enthusiastic about this. Or if you don't have passion behind this, we're not going to get there. And all of this eventually feeds into these issues that we're talking about. If you don't have an environment that believes that these things are important, it leads to other issues. It leads to unconscious or it allows unconscious bias or even conscious bias 
to persist. So I think there's a lot we can do from an education, training, mentoring, coaching standpoint as well that, that we can get started on very soon. Sorry, I've been going on and I could continue to go on. So I'm going to pause and, and let somebody else chime in. A lot of great points there, ma'am. And just just to take off on a couple of them. One is I feel like we have a very intelligent, savvy employee base here. I mean, I there's no doubt about that. And I think they recognize uh, what is and was not and what is not within the kind of bounds of our control. As uh, the chief, General Spellman, said yesterday, you know, we're not going to solve all of America's problems here in the next few months from a cultural and a background standpoint. Uh, but some of the things you hinted at uh, that are kind of structural changes we can make, whether that be to training and education or to hiring panels, those are expected actions that we have got to take. If we do not take those, we, we fail. Because those are things that are within our, our control, and everybody knows they're within our control, or, or at least some portion of them are. And so we absolutely have to do that. I think the other piece to this, and this is the one where I think most employees understand we have only so much control over this, but we have to keep working at it, is just what's your – how are your interactions, your day-to-day -day interactions with all the other people that you work around? You know, I'm not talking about a hiring panel. I'm just talking about – you know, when you're emailing or talking or having a conversation or making a decision in a PDT, a, a project delivery team, you know, what's that like? You know, we have people that do and say things sometimes that they don't realize it or maybe they do realize it, and it makes people uncomfortable or it makes the, it makes the environment uh, not a welcoming, warm, collegial one that we want. Those things are harder to get after. That's the kind of, I believe, the training and the mentorship that you're talking about. Uh, and we have to root out problems where they exist with people. Uh, I, I hear, um, unfortunately, during exit interviews, uh, when, when we try to interview all the employees as they leave the organization, you know, often only at the exit interview will I hear from somebody who feels unencumbered to say, well, this person over here has really been mean to me or, or, or he, you know, he's belligerent or he's, he's got all these racial overtones to what he says, et cetera. Man, I wish I had heard about that earlier. But when you do hear about it, you got to do something about it. But that is much harder to get after because so much of that happens kind of under the radar of us. And empowering other leaders is, is what's really going to be important to your point about training and mentorship. And just one last point on that. You know, when I first took into command, I, I felt we had a problem with sponsorship in the organization. We weren't training our sponsors appropriately, and they weren't being good uh, advocates for their new employees when they came in. They weren't doing everything they, they needed to to sponsor them. So we instituted a pretty robust sponsorship training program, and what do you know, that problem basically fixed itself, and I get direct feedback from everybody now. What if before we did a hiring panel, you know, you had to basically be certified and trained to be on a hiring panel? You know, if, or if you're a hiring manager, before you hire a single person, you've got to be certified and trained, and this is one of the ways you start to get in to the mindset, the value of diversity. You know, it wouldn't be, it's not about the mechanics of how you run a panel. Everybody knows how to do that. It's about the mindset of what am I really looking for, what's best for the organization. And it's Colonel Jansen, just to add one additional thought before we move on, and, and I think it's just to build on one of Colonel Miller's points about empowerment, and I think we can burn this candle from both ends. And General Holland talked about the organizational leadership commitment that's required to see this through policy, other things, that have to come into play. But I think if we can tap in to the collective power of our people to help us, help them, help us solve the problem through extending trust to them, then I think we can maybe build momentum a little faster and get some long-term traction. Thank you, sir. I, I, absolutely. 
everybody, I just I want to say thank you for for coming out. Uh, before we we actually go away and stuff, I I think this was a great conversation. Uh, we didn't have enough time. I mean, because there's so many things, so many great things that came out of this. From an EEO standpoint, <laughs> I have to say thank you to all of you because I know you're doing the right thing uh, to make uh, the division great, your districts great. So again, I, I thank each and every one of you for, for coming out today. I also want to tell our listeners we're, we're going through a tough time, not just with the civil unrest, but we're also going through a tough time with COVID uh, and, and different things. Teleworking, while it might be nice for some, is not good for all. You know, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that there are uh, resources out there. Please take advantage of EAP. Uh, if, if you don't have that number, you can always reach out to the CISM team, the Critical Incident Stress Management team. Please do not hesitate uh, to reach out to us. We do not want you suffering in silence. If you don't know who to call, well, call me, area code 901-544-3209, and we'll get you to the right people will get you the help that you need. Uh, but again, I appreciate everybody. I appreciate the opportunity to be a part of this. Uh, and Courtney, uh, anytime that I can be a part, you know, I, you know me, I, I love doing this with you. So again, thank you, everybody. Hey, if I could, if I could just jump in and say one more thing in closing, uh, you know, I think another great thing for your listeners to to know, and I'm sure that they've heard it already, but I'll just reiterate. This topic and the, the topic of people in general is the Chief of Staff of the Army, General McConville's number one priority. That's a really big deal for the United States Army. That sets the right tone for us to make it the number one priority. I would say everybody you have from, you know, the two commanders and myself, people have always been our number one priority. But when you have at that level, the four-star level of the United States Army, that that commitment, that sets a great tone. And then I'm sure uh, we've all watched General Spellman's YouTube video on his priority. People are number one. And I'll speak for myself personally. We are absolutely committed in MVD, and I know my peers in the other region are also committed to making a positive difference and for keeping this on the forefront so that uh, we will we will move the, the ball down the field, so to speak. And I'll let the other the other two commanders speak to their commitment as well. Yes, this is Colonel Jansen. I absolutely committed to uh, not only pursuing a model EEO program for our district and, and setting the stage for a long-term healthy organization, but also all the principles of diversity, equity, inclusion, I think just reinvigorated with the experience from last several months and silver lining on everything we've been able to focus now. And we've got commitment from, you know, as General Holland mentioned, the most senior leaders in our Army all the way down to the, the district and execution level. And I think with that unity of effort, we'll be able to make a difference, an impactful difference, uh, maybe where we've struggled as a society in the past. Yeah, and I'll just close out by saying, you know, this is in the time that I'm still in command and that the leadership team that we have in our district is here, this will remain a priority and one that we are going to put significant effort against. We've got a number of events 
uh, and, and plans in the works right now, uh, and we're going to share those freely with our organization, A, to, to continue to demonstrate that we take it seriously, but also to hold ourselves accountable. I feel that when, when we go out there and tell our folks um, not only is it a priority, but this is when we're going to give you some kind of feedback. This is when we're going to demonstrate some kind of change. This is the next time you have to tell us whether or not we're doing what we said we're going to do is critical so that this doesn't just pass quietly into the night. Uh, because we absolutely can't uh, have it, because we want the Corps of Engineers to continue to be a, a place that everyone wants to come to because of the incredible mission, but more importantly because of the incredible people and the incredible environment that it raises. And I, I feel that's a, a huge uh, challenge to me, but it's also a huge responsibility that I have as a committee. Exactly. And I will also like to say, you know, the, the Corps of Engineers is not broken. It's a wonderful organization. and. You know, we strive to be the very best, you know, world class, and that's going to take continual effort, uh, but we can build upon a lot of the success we already have and make it even better for our 38,000 people. I just wanted to take the opportunity to thank our leaders for joining us in this very important discussion today. I echo the sentiments of our leadership that we've heard during this podcast. I'm proud to be a part of an organization that recognizes the benefits of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and prioritizes these efforts. But before we go today, I have one last question to pose to our leaders who have volunteered to speak with us. And it really gets at the, the heart of the stress that everybody is under during these very difficult times. Right now, we have a pandemic. Um, employees are faced with a lot of challenges. And as soldiers, you are trained to quickly adjust the tactics and actions during high-stress situations. What is some advice that you can give to civilian staff to help them remain flexible and agile as we move forward in a more virtual and, at times, more politically charged environment? I'll start. I think, you know, because you kind of asked about how our careers kind of trained us for, for this moment, I think part of it is perspective. You know, thinking back to tough days deployed in Iraq, I look up at the sky, the stars are so visible in the Middle East, and recognize how small we are in the grand scheme, and always feeling reassured that, you know, we can control our destiny, and with a positive attitude, and knowing that everything will pass, you can move on to the next day and the next challenge. I think that's the case here with all of our, our people. We'll get through this. We'll get through the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll beat COVID. We'll continue to work at the issues that our society has. We'll continue to work on all the things we need to do within the Corps of Engineers to uh, provide world-class service to our fellow citizens. And, and, you know, the strength of USACE is our team. One another, it's a family type of organization. And if we can keep that intact, everything's going to be just fine. And, you know, I've, I've served, obviously, in a lot of military uniform, uh, uniform military organizations, and they all are very proud of their lineage and their heritage, you know, and there's an official document that comes from the Army that, that says, you know, it was first founded in this year and this and this. It's a broken history of actions. You know, units are activated and inactivated, and they, they just maybe pass on the name of the, of the organization. USACE is fundamentally different from that. USACE has an unbroken lineage and history all the way back from the beginning of this nation. And the districts that we all work in 
are 150, 170 years old. And they have had somebody in charge of them. They've had employees in them every single one of those years. And they have seen everything that our nation has been through. That is very reassuring to me. Uh, it's also very humbling to be a part of that line of succession of people who are tough, tackling tough challenges. So I think that, you know, as I go forward, I just have to, I'm going to keep that in mind. Uh, and I'm going to lean on the fact that this is a proud organization that has proven itself time and time again that it can get through these types of things. And, and, and I think, and I know we will. I don't think I could top either of those answers. Uh, so I'll just reinforce what's already been, been said. I can't imagine a greater organization for us to be a part of. The mission, the significance of the mission, the, the impact it has on the nation, Every single day, everyone plays an important role. Uh, and in times of great stress and crisis, you know, that's the best environment to be in. And um, I have overwhelming confidence that USACE and, and our nation will be better on the other, other side of this. And I'm uh, just really proud to be a part of an organization that, that is such an important part of our nation's history now and going into the future. You know, we don't do anything alone, and the USACE team is very strong. So as one individual to another, I would tell people, rely on each other. You've got a whole team behind you. You, you are not alone. Thank you, Major General Holland, Colonel Jansen, and Colonel Miller for joining us today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you, and we appreciate your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you. What topics are important to you? and people that you are interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together. <laughs>